Every single thing we wear, eat, and use impacts real people and shapes our world. Behind all of it, there is a story, one you might not always expect to hear. From Fair World Project, I'm Dana Geffner, and you're listening to For a Better World, where we unpack the systems, pathways, and labor conflicts that underpin everything around us. Last episode, we left off with Crispin Hernandez when he and his fellow dairy farm workers had just won a historic victory. Now, like most other workers, it would be illegal to fire them for coming together to discuss their wages and working conditions. Together, through their organizing, they won better protections. That victory in the courts was followed by a legislative win enshrining those rights into law. They've made strides from where we were last episode, when the farm manager called the police on Crispin and his co-workers. Their offense? Meeting up in their free time to talk about getting long gloves to keep them safe when handling dangerous chemicals. Now, they had the backing of the law. Those conversations are protected activity, as written in the law. And while it sounds basic, the right to come together and talk is one of those fundamental building blocks of people power. It started with talking about gloves and led to overturning a long-standing racist exemption in the law. But Crispin and his fellow farm workers were just getting started. In this episode, Farewell Project's campaign manager, Anna Canning, continues her conversation with Crispin and gets into what they did next with those new protections. And while their fight began in one worker's home on one farm, that one farm was part of something much bigger. I worked with farms that principally were working with Giovanni. Those farms where Crispin had been working and organizing for better conditions were not really outliers. Instead, they were pretty representative of conditions in the dairy industry. Remember that pretty Chobani ad from the last episode? The red barn, black and white cows, and the daisies? Well, hidden behind the planks of those barn walls is a world far from the pretty picture painted by Chobani's ads. And while Crispin and his co-workers had been coming together to improve conditions in their workplaces, the Workers' Center of Central New York had also been developing a larger project. Instead of letting the company's marketing tell the whole story, they developed a report based on interviews of farm workers across the state of New York. The report is titled Milked, Immigrant Dairy Farm Workers in New York State. Their findings showed, quote, the spectacular growth of the dairy industry has been achieved at the cost of basic labor rights for the immigrant farm workers who keep modern milking parlors running, end quote. The photos in the report are a stark contrast to Chobani's ads. Instead of sunny skies, there are close-packed dark barns and lots of workers, mostly men. They wear work clothes, blue gloves on their hands, some stained with the iodine they use to wash the cows down for milking. They wear tall rubber boots as they stand in wet milking parlors or among piles of chopped cow feed. They show their injuries to the camera, missing fingers, an injured eye, a photo of a dead comrade, the human cost of a dangerous workplace. There's cows too, like in the Chobani ad. They're black and white, but that's where the resemblance ends. These cows aren't in daisy-peppered pastures. No, they're standing in the metal racks hooked up to milking machines and black, snake-like metal hoses. 
or they're standing in other racks, eating or being moved from wet station to wet station. The men look tiny among these 1,500-pound animals, and that's borne out by the statistics from those surveyed in the milked report. 71% of people working in these dairies agreed that the most dangerous part of the job was the cows. They're huge animals and could be unpredictable. But cows aren't the only danger on a dairy farm. There's the heavy machinery, toxic chemicals, manure pits, and 12 to 14 hour shifts of constant rushing with little training, as Crispin talked about in the last episode. The report was published in 2017. And once it was published, Crispin and allies with the Workers' Center of Central New York brought that report right to Giovanni's doorstep. We actually ended up having a press conference in New York City itself. Um, I believe one of the things that ended up happening was at Chobani's cafe. We actually took a letter to a representative of Chobani, and we wanted them to be able to recognize workers and the importance and the intense conditions under which they work. And so this all kind of came together as a direct action. Crispin and allies and organizers with the Workers' Center of Central New York marched into Chobani's cafe. There's a live stream of the event that shows them as they marched up, chanting. They gather outside, holding large printouts of the report, announcing that workers are getting, quote, milked. They march into the cafe, past mirrored walls, and past the pastry case, right up to the person working at the counter. Crispin addresses him directly as he holds a copy of the report in his hands. One of his colleagues translates as he speaks. There's so many injustices in the dairy industry, and there's health and safety violations and even fatalities. We all deserve human rights. We're all human. The clatter of the cafe is all around, but Crispin continues and presents their report. We believe the CEO of Chobani is a leader and one who can change the injustices of the dairy industry in New York. And I remember all of the other workers talking about the importance of this moment, this direct action that we were able to take and specifically let Chobani know the role that they have to play in terms of us workers in the chain, the supply chain. And it was thanks to that collective work that we were able to actually attract a couple of representatives from Chobani to Syracuse. And we were able to have a meeting with Chobani. And that was thanks to the work, the tireless work of many volunteers who were emailing Chobani and asking them to recognize and listen to workers. And back in 2017, it culminated in a meeting that we had over at the Workers' Center of Central New York, uh, where several colleagues, several other dairy workers were also there, and I was there as well. And we were able to speak directly with representatives from Giovanni. That meeting, we were able to express the concerns that we had as workers and to be able to give them firsthand the report that we had finished. The report ends with several policy recommendations and just one critical demand for dairy processing companies and consumers. Quote, the creation of a worker-driven and independently monitored social responsibility program for New York dairy farms. The report goes on to explain that purchasers like Chobani should assure workers' human rights, quote, by making legally binding commitments to source dairy products only from farms that participate in rigorous labor rights monitoring conducted independent of the dairy purchaser or supplier. Requiring big corporations like Chobani to work with farms that respect workers' rights and don't call the police on their workers? That sounds reasonable, right? 
Hemos estado con ellos en varias juntas. Crispin and the workers he organizes with haven't had another sit-down meeting with Chobani since they won their historic legislation protecting their right to organize. But they remain steadfast in their demands. Yeah, so we, we want it just continue to have them recognize workers. You know, we just want to see a place where they have better workplace conditions and protections and they're able to hear from us and just bring an end finally to these intimidations that are such a common practice. It seems like the workers' demands were pretty clear. They outlined them in a meeting. They wrote them in a report. They delivered them to a representative. They were brought to the streets of New York, where workers' calls to action reverberated through Chobani's stylish cafe. So, did Chobani ever respond? Not directly. Instead, they recently came up with this program Chobani did called Milk Matters, but they went ahead and they did this without consulting with the workers themselves, and I feel like that's wrong, you know? Chobani outlined six pillars for their, quote, Milk Matters program, focusing on social, environmental, and animal care issues in milk production. The pillar that Crispin and I focus on during our conversation is the one titled, quote, Worker Wellbeing. And for that, quote, Worker Wellbeing, Chobani worked with Fairtrade USA to adapt their Fairtrade label for the dairy industry. Remember that one demand for the dairy industry that Workers' Center of Central New York wrote into their milked report? It was for, quote, the creation of a worker-driven and independently monitored social responsibility program for New York dairy farms. That's not what they got. Instead, I asked Crispin what the workers he spoke with on the participating farms said about the new fair trade dairy label. I have spoken with them. And you know what? They don't even know what fair trade actually is. Those workers who are working on a lot of those farms that are going to be part of that certification program. And I remember with one ranch I went and I spoke with them and they they have no idea. And so that's really wrong on the part of Giovanni, you know, and not including workers' voices is wrong. That's right. The workers on the farms that are part of the program don't even know about this fair trade certification that is supposed to be protecting their rights. That's a far cry from the worker-driven change they called for. The organized workers in Chobani's supply chain have been clear over the years. And for us, the workers, as I mentioned before, you know, we had in-person meetings back in 2017 where we were demanding that they recognize workers. We demanded that they recognize workers' voice and vote in their workplaces and the conditions that we're experiencing. And so, yeah, no, that program, if it's not recognizing workers and their voices, it's not okay. In 2019, Leading labor organizations in New York State penned an open letter to Chobani. The title of the letter was clear and to the point. Quote, Chobani, there is no farm worker well-being without union rights. 
The letter calls on Chobani to make good on their reputation as a high bar company and calls out the history of Fairtrade USA, their newly announced certification partner, for their track record of ignoring union organizing rights. In their own words from the letter, quote, there is no fair trade without workers' rights. And respect for worker well-being has to include respect for workers' right to freely associate. You say that you want to empower dairy farm workers. Well, our power comes from having a collective voice to stand up for our rights. Workers who must fight alone to address issues in their workplace without the strength of a collective voice are not empowered. End quote. That letter was published in November of 2019. And now, nearly two years later, Crispin and his fellow workers are still firm on their position against the so-called fair trade certification. So yeah, let me explain why is it the case that we don't want this thing called fair trade, right? Why is that the case in general? Well, it's because workers aren't being included in that certification program. So in New York, there is this other law, right? There's this right that we have to be able to organize. And we can organize, but you know, what we want is voice and vote in the workplace. Crispin cuts straight to the point. While their workplace may be a farm, big or small, they are going direct to Chobani with these demands because they recognize the power that Chobani has in their supply chain. They're the ones that are buying from the farms and they have the power to set the conditions. And while Chobani has the power of being a big company with plenty of money, Crispin also points out that his fellow workers have power too. And so, you know, it's us, the agricultural workers and the dairy farm workers, who are feeding the world, and not just here in New York. And so what we ask of Giovanni is to look back over their shoulder and to listen, or listen to us. Look back, listen to the workers. You know, we're out there. See the workers' hands that are involved in the process. We're there every day, 365 days a year. We're asking that you recognize us as work. They talk about things like fair trade or milk matters, this other campaign that Giovanni has tried to create. You know, they never consulted with us. They never asked us to be a part of it. They never knew, they never asked, they never wanted to see if we had better conditions. And, you know, with the workers, it was never explained to us. They never explained what fair trade means and how it impacts us as work. Well, as I said before, every day we're out there, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, We've got shifts that are over 10 hours a day, and not just daytime either, night as well. And the dairy industry is important. So, you know, for me, it is something that is important and intense, and it's important that they recognize that as well. So we want them to listen to us, the agriculture workers. We want them to do the right thing and to recognize that we, who are part of their supply chain, have the ability to unionize. Para sindicalizarse. Crispin and his fellow workers are clear about what they're asking of Chobani. And Chobani has refused to listen to them. And that's why it really rubs the wrong way to hear Fairtrade USA promote their new Fairtrade dairy label. Shortly after the launch, their milk program manager said on the Dairy Dialogue podcast that they existed to, quote, really just give a voice to people who are typically the voiceless. Crispin and the dairy workers milking cows in Chobani's supply chain are hardly voiceless. They've shared their perspective and calls for action in written statements in days of action on farms and in the city. They've gathered the testimony of nearly 100 workers into a report. These workers and their collective action have overturned old unfair laws and organized to bring legislation to protect their rights. Their voices are strong. It's just that Chobani has chosen not to listen. And instead, 
They've brought in a label to declare that everything's, quote, fair. But that's not what the workers have been calling for. So what do we want from them? What do we want Japani to do? Well, we want them to recognize us. We want them to listen to us and we want them to be accountable. We want them to be grateful to us for the part that we play in their production. And, you know, it's because of us that they're able to sell their products and that they're growing their business from day to day. And aside, that growth that Crispin mentions is huge. Chobani has done extremely well with the Greek yogurt craze. And just this summer, they declared their intentions to go public. The initial valuation of their company, $10 billion. That's a whole lot of money. That wealth? It's built from the labor of so many people like Crispin tending cows. In exchange for that, you know, we want to make sure that as agricultural workers, um, you know, we're also in a place where we're able to express our voice as well. So we want them to do the right thing. And we want to be able to keep talking with them. And we're not just talking to Chobani, but we also want to talk to all of the public consumers of Chobani. And here's the clearest message that I feel like we can offer for you. Recognize union workers. You know, when it comes to consumers, whether you're going to drink milk or have yourself a snack of yogurt, you know, or cheese or butter or any of the other products that come out as a result of what the work we do on these ranches. Well, where does it come from? It comes from the important work of all of the agricultural workers in the uh, dairy industry. And even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, that hasn't stopped the supply chain. And, you know, those of us who are here and working, we continue to work. We continue to work day, we continue to work night to make sure that continues to happen. And as a result, we're a major part of the economic successes that have happened in the state of New York. What would it look like for you to have a truly fair dairy industry? I would say that the best way we could see a just uh, dairy industry would be for all companies, whether they be in the U.S. or otherwise, to be able to recognize the workers that are such an important part of their supply chain, to be able to give thanks that they are there, to be able to provide part of that production so for Jabani and the other companies like them. We want them to be able to see the workers' hand involved in the production that they're creating. That the reason that they're able to provide those foods is in part thanks to the workers who take such a large part in doing so. And so to go ahead and to be able to treat us with the justice that we require and to go ahead and make sure that, you know, our workplace conditions and the things that we're living under, not just in the workplace, are of a certain level. And so that there are, we are able to avoid accidents and the many deaths that have occurred because the dairy industry can be dangerous. And so it is the result that we need to protect all of these agricultural workers, both in the state of New York and throughout the United States, in order to create a more just dairy industry. Crispin and the other workers call for Chobani to listen to them and to respect basic workplace demands. And that's backed by research. Put in simple terms, organized workers are the best offenders of their own rights. After two plus decades, there's a body of research looking at what sort of programs best protect workers' rights. And one thing is clear. Top-down, corporate-dominated programs like the, quote, fair trade dairy label that Shabani and Fairtrade USA are rolling out don't protect workers. We'll get more into the details of that in a later episode. But even as we wrap up this episode, I'm still stuck on the deceptive language of being, quote, a voice for the voiceless that Fairtrade USA used to promote their label. It feels condescending, and it's untrue, because Crispin is not voiceless. He's quite vocal, actually. And the other workers aren't voiceless either. 
As the writer Arundhati Rory wrote, there's really no such thing as the voiceless. There are only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. It certainly seems like it's easier for Chobani and Fairtrade USA to choose to ignore these farm workers' voices rather than negotiate with their demands. And their decision to leave workers' voices unheard has a long history. For too long, U.S. labor law has made it harder for farm workers to raise their voices for better working conditions. A lack of organizing protections has helped keep wages low and workplace protections inadequate. Since the founding of this country, in one way or another, powerful farmers, legislators, and companies have worked to keep farm workers an exploited and exploitable class. The rules of the old plantations got rewritten and adopted into laws. But the outlines of the situation remained, with first mostly black and now mostly immigrant workers providing their labor, skill, and knowledge to build wealth for those at the other end of the supply chain. Through their collective action, Crispin and others were able to overturn some of the old, inherently racist exemptions to labor law that had made it harder for them to organize and build power, as we talked about in the first episode. The truth of the dairy industry is a far cry from Chobani's idyllic ads. Instead of cows grazing on daisy-filled pastures, they're shoved into tight pens. And instead of picturesque red barns, there are vast metal buildings where people like Crispin tend to hundreds of cows. Their working conditions are terrible, as Crispin describes and the Milk Report documents. To stay invested in the unreal, hyper-nostalgic collage of the place that milk comes from is to stay invested in a world where the workers are invisible. This was brought up again when I was listening to food system leader Kiana Mickey speak a few months ago. She said, quote, We need to divest from the pastoral narrative around farming. It undermines our solidarity. And it's true. As long as we stay invested in the pastoral image of farming, it's hard to address the real conditions at these dairy farms. When we see beyond the fantasy, there's possibility. Real possibility for transformative change. Let's support that, not some feel-good label that papers over workers' demands. Fair trade wasn't initially developed as a feel-good label. Instead, as we discussed in depth in season one, it grew out of a movement led by small-scale farmers, mostly in Latin America, to carve out an alternative to exploitative models of trade. Those small-scale farmers recognized that they couldn't compete against the big plantations built up through colonial powers. Big plantations with all the advantages of scale. And so that's how fair trade began, building a market for these small-scale farmers who were growing coffee and cocoa. That's the movement I joined once upon a time, a vision to transform trade. And at Fairworld Project, we've pushed back hard against efforts over the years to bring plantation agriculture in under the fair trade umbrella. Small-scale farmers and farm workers are both exploited in our food and farming systems, but the solutions to those issues are not the same. Over the last two episodes, we've heard how laws in the U.S. that govern farm work are shaped by plantation agriculture by the ongoing living legacy of enslavement and exploitation. There's no rebranding that legacy as fair. Instead, addressing exploitation is going to take getting down to the root causes. And it is possible. We saw how Crispin and his fellow workers organized to change the laws that have for too long been an obstacle to making change. Farm workers are organizing every day across the country. They're building transformative solutions we can all support. 
We'll include a link in the show notes to Crispin's organization, Workers Center of Central New York, where you can keep up on what they're doing. And we'll also link to the Food Chain Workers Alliance, the National Alliance of Food and Farm Worker Groups. They supported the dairy farm workers as they brought their demands to Jobani in New York. And they are supporting more organizing locally across the country, maybe near you. There's lots of ways to plug in and support. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on For a Better World podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode where Anna talks to an organizer who's working on some of those transformative solutions that go beyond a feel-good label to put workers' human rights first. Until then, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Your reviews help us get more people listening. And sign up for our newsletter to stay connected for more ways to keep building towards a fair and just food system. We share actions large and small that you can take to support people on the front lines of working for a better world. Fairwell Project is a nonprofit organization and we rely on donations to keep our work going. If you liked what you heard or learned something new, consider becoming a monthly donor. listening to For a Better World, a podcast by Fair World Project. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. Head to our website, fairworldproject.org, to sign up for our newsletter. It's the best way to stay in the loop with our work and take action to support the movements you hear about on this show. Fair World Project is a nonprofit organization, and we rely on donations to keep our work going. If you like what you heard or learned something new, consider becoming a monthly donor. Your contribution will help us continue to bring you stories from around the globe. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date between episodes. For a Better World is made possible by our small but mighty team. Our show is edited by Stephanie DeLeon-Zeke. Katie Gardner is our producer. Anna Canning is our scriptwriter. Our storytellers are Ryan Zinn and Anna Canning. Our music was composed by Mark Robertson. And I'm your host, executive director of Fair World Project, Dana Geffner. Thank you for listening.